It is so good to see each of you. We have missed you immensely. So I... It, and you look beautiful, each and every one of you. At least, I mean, amazing eyes. Yes. Carolina, you look gorgeous. So it is so sweet just to be back together again. It's been such a long, long season. Um, but that makes coming together even sweeter. It's actually a picture, a reminder of the hope that we have. In this life, we experience suffering. We go through seasons of grief because of death, seasons of separation. But it makes the coming together again so much more beautiful. And I want to encourage us in the midst of that. The the joy, it was so, so cool listening to the the conversations in the foyer, just that beautiful roar of, of voices blending together. Man, there's, there's no sound that brings greater joy to my heart and more importantly, I believe to the Lord's heart than hearing his people come together. It is sweet and precious. And so we're so thankful to be together again. Today we're gonna continue our uh, examination of the Pathways series about um, knowing God and making him known. And today we're gonna focus in on prayer. And we're going to look specifically on how Jesus teaches us to pray. And so the main text that we'll look at, if you have your Bibles, will be in Matthew chapter 6, the passage that we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's actually the model prayer or the disciples prayer because he's teaching us how to pray. And and even though it's a familiar passage, sometimes we just say it and we don't really think about what it means. And I hope today to to be able to unpack that and look at what Jesus did and what he teaches us and that we'll grow in our understanding of prayer because it is such a privilege for us to be able to pray, to intercede for one another and to go in the presence of the Lord. Now, there, there are a number of things that we do when we pray. There are times when we offer praise to God who deserves all of our adoration We give thanks to God for his blessings, the things that he has done for us, the gifts that he's given to us. We can meditate on his incredible worth. We can focus in on the greatness of his person. We can intercede for the needs of others, which we should do. We confess our sins and our failures before his righteousness. We acknowledge God's provision of all good things. And of course, we make our requests. We ask things of the Lord. But I want to ask you this question first. What do you believe is the purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? Why did God give us this um, method to be able to connect with him? What is prayer really all about? Is its purpose to motivate God to give us what we want? If we start with that approach where we act as if God perhaps owes us something, we will quickly discover that we really don't understand prayer and we miss out on its greatest privilege. Because the purpose of prayer is to know God and discover how to make him more known. That really is the focal point of prayer. It's about knowing him. And therefore, prayer very much is a conversation. It is both speaking to the Lord and listening, interacting with him. It's about being in his presence. And so what I want to do today is I want to examine what Jesus both practiced and then how he taught us to pray and to to see if it helps to transform our 
prayer life. And so I'm going to ask the Lord just, just to bless his word right now. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence, we do so humbly. We do so in recognition that it is only through the greatness and the work of Jesus Christ that we can come before you. But Lord Jesus, you have invited us through faith in you into the very presence of God, into the very throne room of God. So even as the disciples asked you, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray, we ask today that you would teach each one of us to pray. And Lord, that we would desire to pray more, that we would desire to be in your presence more, to know you more, and discover how you have called us to help make you known. So Lord, I ask that you would speak and let me get out of the way. For Lord, I desperately need you. And I want to grow in my prayer life as well. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ultimately, prayer is all about relationship. It's not about rituals. It's not about any formula. It's not necessarily about the words that we say. Prayer unites us with the Lord in order to know him, stay connected to him, and then to make him known. And and there's passages of the scripture that actually find their working out in our lives through prayer that don't actually talk necessarily specifically about prayer. Let me show you one of those. Before we go to the main passage, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, and Jesus is teaching the disciples, and he's teaching us about being connected. And he says this. It's a familiar passage as well. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide or remain in my love. Now, in this passage, he talks about asking, but he gives two conditions that help us understand the purpose of prayer. The first one is he calls us to abide in his love and in the presence. That's about knowing God, knowing him for who he is. And then secondly, he talks about bearing fruit. That's making God known. That's the life purpose and mission that you and I have in every aspect of our life. And that's not just about witnessing, although sharing our faith with others is incredibly important, and and we need to do that on a regular basis. It's also about how we live and how we reach out to people around us in the workplace, in our homes, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in encouraging them, in speaking to them, and in sharing with them the hope that we have in Christ. The purpose of prayer, this one may surprise you, The purpose of prayer is not, first of all, to know God's will for your life. If you're like me, a lot of the times, especially when you're going through times of transition or change, you want to know God's will. And and the, the good thing about that is it tends to increase our prayer life. 
When you're going through times of uncertainty, where you're not sure what the future holds or um, what the next steps are, we tend to pray more, right? That's a good, good thing. But if that's all we do, we'll miss the purpose of prayer. Because God's purpose for us is far greater. It is to move past the answers to our questions to know his person, to know him more intimately. Prayer is all about him. And here's how I want to show that to you. Because the person who prayed the most that we see in the scripture is Jesus. And let me ask you this question. Did Jesus need to know God's will for his life? He was God. He already understood God's will, his purpose, his mission, the things that he was called to do. And yet he spends more time in prayer than anyone else that we see in the scripture. Prayer is incredibly important. And part of that, one of the first things we need to come encounter with is as we see that the purpose of God that he has in prayer is for us to know him, we need to understand that prayer is intimate. One of the things, I've showed you this before, and for me, sometimes it's difficult to get my mind around the fact that I'm coming into the presence of the Lord. And so often what I, what I do is I'll put an empty chair near where I'm praying. If I'm praying from my chair, if I'm kneeling down, or, or I'm sitting on the couch where it is, I'll bring a chair in there just as a reminder that I'm coming into the presence of the Lord. Just like I would be coming into the presence of another person. And here's what that does that helps me. It helps me to listen. Instead of just unloading everything that's in my heart and in my mind and then chasing several different rabbit trails where I got distracted in my own thoughts, you know, and then I found out I'm thinking about lunch or whatever it is that, that happened in there. By having that, it reminds me to pause and to slow down. Just like if I'm having a conversation with you, I don't want to do all the talking. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from the Lord. And so I'll use his word to listen, but also be still and know that he is God. And for me, just that visual reminder of an empty chair reminds me that God really is with me right here, right now, that I'm coming into his presence. And maybe that'll help you understand the intimacy that we have in prayer. Because God wants us to know him. Jesus has provided a way for us to dwell together with God in prayer. And understand that when we come into prayer, all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are involved. We pray by the Holy Spirit. He prompts us. He speaks into our heart, into our minds to guide us into prayer. So we pray by the Holy Spirit. We pray through the Son. It is only through the merit and the work of Jesus Christ that we come into the presence of God. And we pray to the Father. So there's already a gathering of four when just one of us goes into prayer. And the beautiful thing, that the promise of God's word is, is where two or three are gathered in prayer, there the Lord is with us also. Even in times of isolation, even in times of coronavirus, we can gather together in prayer into the presence of the Lord, and it's beautiful. See, prayer is not for others to see or be impressed by. It is communion with God, and our hearts should reflect that reality. Next, the thing that we need to keep in mind is that not only is prayer intimate and its purpose to make God known 
and to, to know him intimately. Prayer is powerful. I want you to think about it. All, you, every time you look at the news, you'll see some kind of story that focuses in on green energy or renewable energy or the dangers of fossil fuels or whatever the debate may be about energy because energy is so important to us, to our daily lives. And yet, the most powerful energy source that is completely green, by the way, and completely renewable and inexhaustible is prayer. And yet, how often do we truly invest our hearts and our lives in going before the Lord? If we really want to see transformation happen, we will become more and more intentional in our prayer life. And I say that not as a conviction to you. I say that as a conviction to myself. Lord, teach me to pray. Give me the desire to pray. Give me a hunger to pray. Because prayer is the most powerful energy in the universe because it connects us to the unlimited power of God. That's what it's all about. Prayer is kingdom power. And God has placed within our reach ultimate power, not just a a cosmic wishing well where we go and try to have the wants of our life met, but we get to connect to the very heart of God. So let's go to our main passage, and I'm going to put it up from the Lumo Project from Matthew chapter 6, and I want us to listen to how Jesus begins his teaching on, on prayer, the things he tells us not to do and the things he tells us to do, and then the model prayer that he gives to us. So let's pray, play there from uh, the Luma Project, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. One of the things that I find so comforting about the Scripture is when you encounter the disciples, you discover that they're just like you and I. Jesus teaches on prayer many times. In fact, he teaches the model prayer, the prayer that we just heard, what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, at least twice during his ministry because they needed reminding of it. And so I want to show you the setting the second time, which is in Luke chapter 11, before we really go and look at the prayer itself. But look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and see what's happening in the background. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, this is really cool, because they've gone to the right place. They've gone to Jesus himself, and what they've done is they first looked at the picture of how Jesus himself prays. They see how he is encountering the Father, how he makes a priority out of prayer. And then they say, Lord, show us, teach us how to pray, and then he shares the same process. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And he walks them through a model prayer. Now, This wasn't the only time that the disciples saw Jesus praying. In fact, when we trace through his life, we see how intentional Jesus is about praying. Let me just show you a few passages so that you you see the priority that God the Son, Jesus Christ, places on prayer. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says this, Yet news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Okay, so now here's the setting. Jesus' popularity is getting huge and there are droves of people all around him and look what he does in verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The more attention that his ministry received, the more intentional he was about prayer. Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14 says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Evening would be around 6 p.m., 1800. But then look what it says next. Verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So from sunset to at least 3 a.m., Jesus is praying. He's engaged in a conversation in communion with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are out on the water and they're in the boat and a storm comes up and they're scared. But Jesus has been praying for them. Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He already knew how the encounter he was going to have with them was going to strengthen their faith. That's encouraging to us because we need to understand that the scripture tells us that he now lives to make intercession for you and I. 
He already knows the challenges you're going to face tomorrow. And he intercedes for us. That's the kind of God that we have. He's a God who lives to pray, to intercede for us. Mark 1, 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus' priority was prayer. You see, Jesus understood that prayer is our connection to the Father. It gives us the power that fuels our spirits. We've been entrusted with the deposit of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, when we go to the Father in prayer, prompts us and guides us and teaches us how to pray and how to spend time with the Lord. True life ultimately happens as an overflow of our intimacy with God. And so if you want to know God more, we definitely want to spend time in his scriptures so we know what he says, but we want to be more and more intentional about prayer. So let's look at this prayer that Jesus teaches us, and let's see how we can unlock the power that he's, he's showing us, because oftentimes what happens with this model prayer is we pray it because maybe we've memorized it, And we don't really think about the pattern of what he's teaching us in the midst of this. And I've kind of divided it down to a word because I'm a nerd and I like to do these things. And so I use the word empower. If you want your prayer life to be empowered, then we want to look at this prayer and see what it teaches us about going to the Lord in prayer. So let's begin with the first, the very first phrase, how Jesus is empowering our prayer life. This is what he taught the disciples and what he teaches us. He begins with our Father in heaven. So many times I rush into prayer, but he teaches us to enter God's holy presence respectfully. When you pray, remember that you are coming into the presence of a holy and perfect God. You're invited to do so through Jesus Christ as our high priest, but we need to remember who he is. We need to come reverently, respectfully, humbly. Hebrews teaches us this as well in Hebrews 8, chapter one, uh, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So when we come to the Father through the Son, we are coming into the throne room of God. Now, if you just stopped and slowed down and realized that that is the reality of what you are entering into, how would it change your prayer life? Would you just say the first thing that comes to your mind? Or would you think and be intentional and focus in recognizing You're coming into the presence of God in his holy throne room. Jesus wants to remind us where we're going. Secondly, he says when we enter into his presence, we need to have the right heart and the right attitude. He says, hallowed, which means holy be your name. God has exalted his name and his word above everything else the scripture tells us. 
And Jesus his, reminds the disciples and reminds us that the Father is perfect. He has no impurities. He is absolutely holy. He is totally separated from evil. And our prayers should reflect who he truly is. So we need to be respectful as we enter into his presence, remembering that he is holy. And yet at the same time, we come boldly because Jesus, our high priest, has invited us into his presence. And that brings us to the next, the next part of it, and that is to magnify God's person. When it says, holy is your name, it's focusing in on God's character, God's work, God's attributes. That's an incredibly important part of prayer. If you want to have confidence, if you want to have assurance, if you want to see your faith be strengthened, you need to recognize more and more of who God truly is. Because when we see an accurate picture of God, and we know that he is all-powerful, that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is loving, that he cares for us, that his plans and his purposes are perfect, then we can learn to trust him no matter what the circumstances we're going through. But even if that wasn't the case, the fact that he is God himself means he is worthy of being magnified, of being lifted up. So make sure that as you come in prayer, you not only remember you're coming into the presence of a holy God, but be intentional to magnify his person, his attributes, his character, to praise him. And then the next part of it guides us into where we're going to set the attitude of our prayer. Your kingdom come. That's the next phrase that Jesus says. After we've remembered that and magnified the name of the Lord, your kingdom come. It means that our priorities must be aligned to God's kingdom, God's purposes, and God's plans. It is a difficult thing to go to in prayer knowing that you're at odds with God's kingdom. When we take a moment and examine why we're asking for the things that we're asking or why we're saying the things we're saying, if they're more about us, about my desires, about my wants or my plans, then I'm not praying your kingdom come. In fact, I may be praying in opposition because what I'm really praying is my kingdom or my comfort come. And that will be a roadblock to your prayer. You'll not see God do the mighty, wonderful things that we desire to see him be lifted up for when we're seeking ourselves. We are to simply lay ourselves before him and say, your kingdom come. It's about you. The secret to a life filled with joy is to understand that it's all about God and not about us. But here's the beautiful thing. When we begin to live that way, when we begin to live your kingdom come, we become more and more an integrated part of God's kingdom and God's work. And our joy, our life becomes lifted up because it merges together with his. That's the secret of true joy, is focusing on him. You see, God's glory is our life's pursuit. I want you to think about it. God created the universe and all that is in it to display the greatness of, Uh, and the glory of his grace, of his goodness. 
Everything, including you and me, was created for that purpose. And it is only in that purpose that we become whole and we experience union with him and incredible joy. He says this to us in Isaiah 43, where he says, bring my sons and daughters from afar, from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And Romans says something similar. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. You and I were made to reflect the greatness of God, to share in his life, and to show the goodness of who he is to everyone around us. Therefore, all believers should live in a way and love in a way that calls attention to the greatness and beauty of God's grace. We're to let our light shine before others so they see our good works, but they glorify the Father in heaven. That's what it means to pray in this way. Your kingdom come. The next part is obedience. Obedience to God is not optional. True prayer changes us and returns us to God's priorities. That's why Jesus taught us to pray Not just your kingdom come, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's how we need to translate that when we read it. Your will be done not only on earth, but in Prague. Not only in Prague, but in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my heart, in my mind, in my actions, in my words. That's what we're praying. Your will be done in everything I do, in all that I am. It's all about you. That's obedience. You see, it's conforming our life to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's incredibly powerful. Now, God's will will be accomplished. He's not gonna fail. But he invites us to become united to his will, to cooperate with his will, and there we find incredible joy. Now, here's the truth. Jesus not only taught us to pray that way, it's exactly how he prayed himself. I want you to think about it for for a moment. The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is fully God, but he also is fully human, When he was born, the incarnation there at Bethlehem, he became just like you and I with all the weaknesses, all the difficulties that we would have as human beings, the struggles and the trials that we would go through. He understands where we are. And when it comes to the point where he is about to take on the suffering for your sin and my sin, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays to the Father and he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What he meant was the cup of judgment that he was about to drink that would take your sin and my sin and place it upon him. And from that moment, he would begin to suffer physically in incredible ways and he would suffer spiritually as he's as he's being separated from the Father because of our sin. 
The emotions and the difficulty was not something that his human flesh wanted to endure. And so he says, Lord, if there's another way, I'll take it. But the very next phrase is the key to everything. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus understood that obedience means that we submit everything that we ask to God's will. Because God understands that Jesus' suffering was ultimately going to lead to your salvation and my salvation. What if Jesus would have stopped his prayer right there and said, if there's another way, let's do that. God, I want the other way. You and I never would have been saved. We would never experienced forgiveness. But Jesus Christ modeled for us how we are to be obedient to his will in everything. And therefore, it's appropriate that that is how we pray and approach everything that we ask for. Because we recognize that God's ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes God wants to demonstrate his greatness and his glory through blessing. Sometimes God demonstrates his greatness and his glory through enabling us to be faithful in the midst of trial, suffering, or sickness. But if he is the one being glorified, if his will is what's being accomplished, then it is a good answer to prayer. It may not be the conditions that we want, but it's the model that Jesus teaches us to pray. Obedience is not optional. And here's here's the the thing about it. True prayer changes us and returns us to God's priorities. One of the reasons why we pray is not to convince God to do what we want, but to allow in that conversation, in that communion together, the Holy Spirit and God's word to speak into our own heart to change us. So many times when I'm intentional about prayer, I'll go with one thing in mind, and as I'm beginning to pray, the Lord transforms me and helps me to see this circumstance, this situation, or this person and what they're going through, not from my vantage point, but from God's vantage point. And I'm able to pray in a very different way, your will be done. Same true with praying for ourselves. Your will be done. The next phrase is a reminder about our dependence that we're to have. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, up until this point, every point that um, Jesus teaches us has to do with the attitude that we have in prayer, that our focus is on God himself. But from this point on, he's teaching us about our actions, about how to live dependent upon God in such a way that we're able to walk out his will and his purpose for our life. And he tells us, first of all, to give us this day our daily bread. And that's a picture that goes all the way back to Israel in the wilderness. God provided manna in the wilderness, but he did so in such a way that you would only get enough manna, enough bread for the day. If you tried to gather more, if you tried to get a little extra for the next day or for, uh, for the day after that, it would spoil. The next morning when you woke up, what you had gathered was gone. Because God wants you and I to understand we are dependent upon him for everything. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, because we need a constant reminder. That's one of the things why sometimes in our life, 
Blessings are more dangerous than trials. Because when things are very comfortable, when the bank account fills up, I have a tendency to trust in my bank account and or in my own resources rather than in God. And so I need to be praying continually, Lord, give me what I need today. And I'm tempted to always pray, Lord, give me what I think I might need next week and next month and next year and whatever retirement is or those kind of things. You know, I don't, don't even know what that means. But that's what we tend to do because we get focused in on security and our security doesn't come from the things, the resources that we have. Our security comes from Jesus himself. And he promises to supply all of our needs day after day. And so we're to wait on God's provision, on God's timing. Now, if there's any phrase that I've, that I've tried my best to teach you over the last eight years, it's this one, and hopefully you know it. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants, and we would wait for his timing. That's what this is talking about. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants and we would wait for his timing. That's the approach we're to have in prayer. We wait on God's provision and God's timing. And here's the thing. It'll always be better than we expect. The problem is, oftentimes, I want to rush ahead. I become impatient. And I try to take things into my own hands as if God needed help. Now, he calls us to be responsible. He calls us to work hard and to to be diligent in the work that we do. Um, If he says, if a man will not work, he should not eat. So we have responsibilities, but we recognize that our provision comes from the Lord. And we're to wait on his provision and his timing. Well, the next part of of the prayer, after he promises that he will supply all of our needs, he will give us what we need each and every day, He invites us to come to him continually. And it means this. We're to exchange our death, our lack of resources for Jesus' life and his abundant provision. He says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is another way of saying, forgive us of our sins. In fact, in Luke's account, in Luke 11, chapter 4, he says it exactly that way. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And in the passage, we discovered that our forgiving of others is a reflection of whether or not we truly understand God's forgiveness of us. That it was completely by grace, not something that we've earned, not something that we merit in any way. Sin is a debt that causes a heavy burden. And if not dealt with, it can weigh a person down until he is totally ineffective as a follower of Christ. But Jesus removes our burden and the weight of sin. Now, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives us of the penalty of sin. That's nailed to the cross. It's done. But relationally, you and I continue to sin. And so Jesus teaches us that every day we need to examine our heart and our life. We need to allow God's word and God's Holy Spirit to to do an x-ray of your life and my life and have him show us areas in our life and our attitudes and our actions and our words 
that are sinful. You see, we don't escape the consequences of that and the relational impact it has until we ask for cleansing. We recognize our sin and we say, Lord, would you forgive me of that? I had the wrong attitude. I approached things in the wrong way. I was selfish. And when we do that, we're exchanging our death for Jesus' life and Jesus' righteousness, his provision. And then we have the resource to be able to forgive others. And not just to forgive them, but he goes on in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, he tells us not only are we to forgive those who harm us, who sin against us, but we're to bless them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And it goes on to imply that if we're unwilling to relinquish our grudges and our hatreds towards those who've wronged us, um, then we need to recognize that it's going to leave a relational barrier between us and God. Because ultimately, what we are to do is to do unto others as you would have them do to you. Jesus is teaching us an understanding of grace and how to live an exchanged life with him. Where he offers us complete forgiveness, but then he asks us to freely forgive others as well. We're to exchange our death for his life. The next phrase that's there after the forgiveness is one that sometimes is confusing. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from lights that fall down. If there's a... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, when we see that phrase, lead us not into temptation, it causes some questions sometimes. Is there a sense where, that God leads us into temptation? Well, to understand this, we need to look in, into the words itself. We need to examine it in the original language a little bit because the word temptation, translated temptation, has a dual meaning. Its first meaning is testing as evidence. It refers to a trial. And sometimes we are given trials that we go through that are meant to test and refine our faithfulness. The Lord does put us through trial. But the second meaning is a meaning of deliverance from harm or of an enemy. And the truth is we need the Lord to do both for us. We need, to give him, we need him to give us endurance in the midst of trial and we need protection from the enemy as well. This second meaning refers to how the enemy will try to trip us up, whether that's by Satan, whether that's by flesh, whether that's the influence of the world. James gives us some clarification on this in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. He's not trying to entice us and make us trip up. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So God tries us to purify us, but we also need his protection from our own flesh and from the tactics of the enemy. Because we have to understand that all of us still will struggle with sin. But we have good news. God promises us this in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, to humanity. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, 
He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When we pray this part of the prayer, we need to recognize that maybe we're going through a time of trial. We need to pray, Lord, would you enable me to learn what you have me to learn during this trial? Would you purify me through the midst of this? Would you make me more and more like your son, Jesus Christ? And we also recognize our own flesh, our own predisposed nature towards selfishness and sin. Temptation from the sin or from the flesh or from the enemy will attack us and we need God's protection. That's why you notice in this prayer, God tells us to pray these things daily. Just as he says that we're to pray for our daily bread, he's saying these are the kind of things that need to be a part of your prayer every single day. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to pray this specific prayer every day, but these points should be part of our prayer life every day because we need God's protection, we need God's strength in the midst of trial, and we need his protection in the midst of temptation. And so we're to exchange our death and our sin for his life and his righteousness. That's what he's inviting us to do. Because you see, the victory that we have over sin and the victory that we have in trial is found in our identity in Christ. That we have an exchanged life. And I love love the way Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's teaching us the same thing on practical levels here in the prayer, that we exchange our death, our flesh, our selfishness for his life, his righteousness, his provision. And then finally, the phrase that you'll see in most cases in your Bible, depending on the translation, you may see it only in the footnotes because it's not in all the manuscripts. It's the reminder for yours, speaking of the Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And he's inviting us to rejoice in God's purpose, plan, and pleasure. We're to celebrate God with all that we are. He is the one who brings blessing and life to us. It's all about him. He is the one who makes us whole. And when we learn these steps, when we allow the Lord to teach us how to follow this pattern in our prayer life, it will change how we pray. How we pray for ourselves, how we pray for others, how we pray for the world around us, how we pray for the church. Everything about us will change. The Lord will empower our prayers. So let's do this. Let's stand and let's say this prayer together as just a reminder to us and to ask the Lord to then teach us to pray in this way, following his pattern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
So Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to know you more. We want to encounter your presence more intimately. And so we thank you, Lord, for the teaching of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way you modeled a life of prayer where you set aside time intentionally every day to be with the Father, not to find answers to your questions, but because your very life was renewed in his presence. Lord, help us to recognize that and to desire that, to not just come to you with the problems that we face, but to learn to find joy in your presence, to celebrate who you are. And then, Lord, as we know you more, would you teach us to make you known, to walk alongside those who are hurting, those who are, in, who are grieving, those who are fearful, those who do not have hope, and to live as your hands and feet, to live out the life you have given us, Lord Jesus, in such a way that they see more and more of you and not of us. Lord, teach us to pray. Call us to a deeper commitment to prayer. Enable us to walk the path of prayer so that we may know you. We pray these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen.